Well, hello, Timber Creek Church. So glad to have you today. This is going to be a great day as we dive into God's Word. We have been going through the story, a a process we started since Super Bowl Sunday, uh, starting uh, with Genesis, and we're moving all the way to Revelation. And we've broken that into chunks according to uh, the story novel that takes 80% of the Bible, and it gives the thread of the story of God all the way through. Here we are in week 22. Can you believe we're in week 22? Only a few more weeks until we end this incredible experience. I hope that you have been able to dive into the Word of God like never before. And if you're just dipping your toe in the water of Timber Creek, uh, then man, hopefully you uh, will take an opportunity to join us for the rest of the time. You are not too late to jump into chapter uh, 23 and 24 as we read that together this week. But today we're looking at at, uh, the change of the Old Testament into the New Testament. So before I break that down, I want to welcome those of you watching online and uh, all of our guys there at the Dieball Correctional Center. Uh, man, we love you guys and we're so glad. Come on, let's give it up for all of our folks at Dieball and online. Yeah, we love you guys. <laughs> well, here we go. Let's, let's go ahead and take this now and let's jump in. Would you pray with me before we start? Father, the next few moments we have together, we will not convene like this. We won't get together like this, exactly like this, ever again. We'll have church and we'll have attendance, but this is a moment, this is a day you have made, and this is an opportunity for us to encounter you. And I know maybe for some, uh, coming to church and experiencing a virtual teaching like this Maybe a little foreign to them, a little new. But God, in the same way you speak through a song that was recorded a while back, the same way you continue to speak through your word that was written years and years ago, through authors that your spirit breathed through, God, I believe that today you want to speak through this message in a real way that by the time we leave this place together, we will say to each other, today I've heard from God. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said a good amen. Amen. It's amazing how awkward 10 seconds of silence can feel. (laughs) Like just by being quiet for just a few moments, it's amazing how, what should I do? How, what's going to happen here? Um, We get to a part of the story of God at the end of the Old Testament where there is this massive amount of silence in fact, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the final book, the 39th book of the Old Testament. And the final scripture, Malachi gives this uh, prophetic uh, look into the future. And here's what he says in, in the book of Malachi, the Lord speaking through the prophet Malachi. Here's what it said. It says, now look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Now, 
First of all, notice that when he says, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah, Elijah had already come. We've already read about Elijah in the book of Kings, First and Second Kings. But there was like this second coming of Elijah, and he's giving this prophetic, uh, uh, this prophetic look into the future that Elijah is going to come again before this scary day, this dreadful day, which you and I have not experienced yet, this dreadful day of the Lord, the final, like, uh, the final judgment of God. We're, we haven't gotten there yet. But before that happens, Elijah is going to come, and he says his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And the book of Malachi closes and God does not send another prophet for 400 years. Now I want you to think about this. If you were to leave your kids by themselves for 10 hours at the house and they're young kids, you don't know what you might come home to let alone a year, let alone, let's say you drop your kids off, not in an evil way, but they were stranded on a desert island with enough rations to keep them alive, but they were stranded as preteens, as like nine and 10-year-olds, and they weren't rescued, but they were able to stay alive for four years. And you show up after four years, and they've become teenagers. I mean, you're going to show up to what was kind of some sophisticated kids to like, you know, a modern version of Lord of the Flies going on. They're going to pick up some customs and conversations. I mean, like Tom Hanks and Castaway, they're talking to volleyballs, you name it. Like, it's amazing what time without direction can do to someone's life. Can you imagine 400 years and what we've seen all throughout the Old Testament is that God was speaking to people. Hey, you have earthly dilemmas. I provide the heavenly solution. You're going to learn these lessons. And he learned them through prophets. He taught them through prophets. He taught them through the commandments. He taught them through going into bondage and for 400 years of bondage and slavery into the deliverance and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and creating a nation in Israel and the ups and downs and the splits and the captivity. And then now he's teaching them through 400 years of silence. I want to tell you something, everybody. I am so glad that God does not go silent on us today. He's a speaking God, and he's very active in our lives. But this 400 years, this dark moment between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, many of your Bibles will have a, a just a, a empty page in between the Old Testament and the New. That's not a typo. That's not a mistake. That's a representation. It's symbolism for that quiet time where God did not send a prophet. And he was preparing for the big reveal. There was 400 years to prepare for the coming of God's son, Jesus. In fact, in the book of Matthew... Chapter 11, we see Jesus talking about that scripture in Malachi. And here's what Jesus says. He says, all the prophets and the law of Moses, they were looking forward. They looked forward to this present time. Meaning that all of the story of the Old Testament is not there so we can pick up the customs and the, the rituals and the legalistic jargon of the Old Testament. All of that was to point us towards the time, the present time, where Jesus shows up. And the scripture goes on to say, and if you're willing to accept what I say, because this is going to be a big a big uh, acceptance piece to what he was going to say. He was going to say, John, John the Baptist, is Elijah. In fact, when Malachi said Elijah's going to come again, he was referring to John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the Lord. 
John's the one that's Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. So what we see is this 400 years of silence, there is this uh, uh, pinnacle moment, this paramount moment where God then sends his son to earth. Now I want you to take your study notes and we're going to ask a very key question today. And here, here's the question, and it starts with this big question that all of us, uh, all of us want to ask. It starts with the word, why? And here it is. Why did God come to earth in the form of a human being? God was already moving and speaking and had given the commandments to Moses and had, had risen up kings and taken down kings, had risen up kingdoms and demolished kingdoms. He was already moving. He was sending angels and he, and he sent uh, uh, the Son of God to walk in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was already on the move. So why does God like flip the whole script? Why does he send his son in the flesh as a human being. That's what we want to unpack today. That, because it's important to know this 400 years of silence wasn't just so another prophet would come, although they're important. It was so the Son of God, God in the flesh, would show up. And there's many reasons why he came. I want to give you just three simple reasons why God took the form of a human being and came to earth for you and for me. The first one, write it down. Number one, Jesus came to erase the misconceptions about God. You know, throughout the, the, the Old Testament, they get an idea, a certain viewpoint of God, but God was larger than their current context. In fact, in 400 years, what had happened was they, the, the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes, all of these um, certain uh, religious sects, kind of like the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Pentecostals, like, like all of the Jewish people started taking on different forms of how to get to God. And one of the ways that they began to form was their own, their own perceptions that, that were misconceptions, and they began to add all kinds of stuff to God. The law of God, they added 600 plus rules that if you weren't following these man-made rules, you really weren't getting to God or making God happy. And Jesus came to erase those misconceptions about God. And today, in the good old U.S. of A., there are plenty of misconceptions about who God is and what he looks like. In fact, if you Google God, <laughs> you know, just lowercase God, when I Googled it earlier, about 860 million Results. That's a whole lot of thoughts on who God is. 860 million pages on God. And some are right and some are like, cuckoo. Some are crazy. In fact, I kind of happened upon some of these off the interwebs. Here, here's a statement about a God. Uh, some guy says, I like to think of God as the sun and myself as a ray of sunlight. The ray is the same substance as the sun, so really, I'm God too. Wow, that is, it's amazing how you got to, to that. Someone else put, I like to think of God like my dead father watching over everything I do. It's a little creepy and scary. You're, you know, you're, now I lay me down to sleep, my father's watching me from the closet. That's a little intense. Here's another one. I like to think, I like to think of God as some sort of gigantic balloon. Like a giant brain 
floating in space. It almost reminds me of the, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, but, but that's, a little, that's a little creepy uh, too. But really, we all like to think of God as. Um, in fact, if we're not careful, uh, that's how we get our understanding of God because we like to think. We like to think of God as this. We like to think of God as that. And that's the wrong, that's the wrong way to look at it. Really what we need to be asking is this. What is the truth about who God really is? Not just what I like to think of God. That's, more, that, that's easier. But what is the truth? And that's what we want to talk about a little bit more deeply uh, today. In fact, a scripture in the book of Psalms, Psalm 118, the author says, This is the day that the Lord has made. It goes on to say, I will rejoice and be glad in it recognizing that God's given us the day. But in the culture we live in today, this has been flipped. And really, today what we're dealing with, even in the local church, in some levels, and in some of us in some levels, is we really are more like this is the Lord that the day has made. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in that. Because if I can make my own image of what God is... It kind of works to my advantage, and he surrenders to me versus I surrender to him. Here's some thoughts to write down in your notes. The way that this is played out today, the, the way that the, this is the Lord that today is making is like this. Number one, people tend to imagine God. They like to think of God in a way that is most convenient for them. So... Uh, God loves me no matter what I do. God loves me no matter what I feel. God, listen, this is a huge one. God just wants me to be happy. As long as I'm happy, then, you know, that, then God's happy as long as I'm happy. That's very convenient for us, but that's not living a life surrendered to God. That, that's living, uh, creating a God surrendered uh, to us. Here's another one. Write it down. People tend to want God to support their decisions and lifestyles. God, if you just give me one more chance, I'll get back into church. If you just let me get by with one more little white lie. God, if you let me not get caught. God, if you do this for me, I think I'll, you know, it's like we want him to support our decisions and lifestyles regardless of whether they align with who God is in the Bible. Here's another one. People tend to want God to be their servant and not vice versa. Look, nobody, nobody like grows up saying, I hope to be the chief servant. Yet when Jesus comes from heaven to earth, he took the very nature of a servant. And yet we want him to be our servant, even though he took that. We don't want to follow suit. We would rather him be that, you know, that, 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 that genie in the bottle that shows up and, and, and grants our wishes, and, and that's not the way God works. And here's the deal. I truly believe, I truly believe that God, God it, it, a lot of people tend to be this way, but it's not because they're like malicious about it. It's not like they're malevolent. It's not, it's not like they're mad about it and they're, they're, they're kind of ignoring or putting their fingers in their ears. And No, 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 no. They kind of like sincerely believe that God is a genie. They sincerely believe that God's happy with whatever they do as long as they, you know, uh, treat someone nice. And that's not the way... God works. In fact, this is a huge, I think this is one of our critical statements for today in your notes, and it's this. People can be truly sincere 
in their beliefs. Truly sincere, but still be sincerely wrong. I mean, they are sincere. They believe it with all their heart. Look, my daughter was just like four years old and she was sneaking around and she was thirsty and she got into our refrigerator and she was thirsty. She wanted to get a root beer out of there. And so she got an IBC root beer. She sincerely believed that that was an IBC root beer. And when she took a big old swig, I happened to kind of come around the corner and I noticed that she wasn't drinking IBC root beer. She was drinking Worcestershire sauce. And when she, pulled, when she pulled the Worcestershire sauce down, she looks at me and the Worcestershire, she, just, she just let the Worcestershire sauce just kind of come out of her mouth. She was sincere in trying to sneak that root beer, but she was sincerely wrong in what she had chosen. And there's a lot of people. Listen, think of it this way. A lot of people can sincerely feel like they got a headache and can go to the medicine cabinet and sincerely grab the, the, the pills thinking they're getting a ibuprofen or a Tylenol and they can grab the wrong, they can grab something wrong. They, 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 they can grab the X-lax and no matter how sincere they are, if they take the wrong thing, they're going to get wrong results from that headache. Look, let, let me say it in a little bit more personal way. I, I can sincerely believe that I look like Brad Pitt, that I am as good looking as Brad Pitt. I can believe it, but my reality may not be the truth of what I sincerely believe. I, I may look like someone else. In fact, I was preaching for a friend a few uh, weeks ago in Arizona, and we had four services, and, and I am not making this up. Three out of the four services, someone came up to me after service and they said this, and they said it three different ways. Here's what it was. The first one was this. They said to me, hey, Pastor Jeremy, that was a good message. Has anybody ever told you that you remind them of, and they didn't say Brad Pitt, okay, they said, remind you of Chris Farley. That was the first one. And I said, oh, Wow. Chris Farley, the fat comedian who's dead. And I remind you, they say, oh, just in your mannerisms and stuff. And, you know, just the way you kind of, uh, and, and so I kind of laughed and said, thank you. You know, I, uh, you know, want to work on that a little bit. And, and then the next service, I am not, I am not lying. The next service, uh, a girl comes up to me and says, hey, has anybody ever told you that you remind them of Kevin James? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's a little bit of a pattern developing. Big, fat, white guys, you know. Third service. Afterwards, an older man comes up to me. And, I, man, I wish I was making this up, but it's the truth. He comes up to me and says, <laughs> Jeremy, has anybody ever told you that you remind them of Drew Carey? But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop with Drew Carey. He said, Drew Carey, when he was on, whose line is it anyway? In other words, Drew Carey, when he, you know, when he was bigger, okay? And I'm seeing this, this common theme of, you know, white guys who might have a laugh or two, but are kind of big. And so it don't matter whether I think I look like Drew Carey or think I look like Brad Pitt Maybe I look more like Drew Carey, but I also want to say this, and everybody needs to listen close. Listen up. Drew Carey has lost a good amount of weight 
And now, after he's lost weight, <laughs> he actually... He actually does look a little bit like Brad Pitt. So I'm just saying, there's still a chance, everybody. There's still a chance, Janet Yancey, that I got there. Something might come about this. But right now, I got a long ways to go. Anyway, okay, I digress on all that. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. The question I want to ask myself. Here it is. Do I have any false concepts or ideas about God? Is there anything that's crept in that's what grandma said? And even though grandma is sincere, she's actually sincerely wrong. I I, I had someone in our family um, believe that if you had a sore throat, uh, if you found a person who did not know who their father was and they breathed down your neck, breathe down your throat, that you would lose your, your sore throat. And so, man, that was an awkward day at Walmart when I was walking through the <laughs> Walmart. Do you know your dad? Will you breathe down my neck? You know, no, that didn't happen. Uh, but, but they were sincere about that belief. That's an urban legend. They're sincerely wrong. Do we have any concept? Does grandma have any false concepts about who God is, about what God should look like, about whether he will forgive you for that or not? Wow. Let's not live liking to think of God as we have Jesus who came in the flesh to show us who God is. In fact, write it down. God sent his son to show us who he really is by what he taught and how he lived. Not only did he teach us who God is, he then showed us who God is. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do it. God, it's one thing for Jesus to say it. It's another thing for him to live it, and he did both. Listen, there are so many things about God that you don't, you wouldn't know had Jesus not told you. You wouldn't know that Jesus is a, uh, that God is a a forgiving God, that he he, uh, casts that, 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 that memory, that he, that he chooses to forgive and remember no more. You wouldn't know that had Jesus not taught you. You wouldn't know just by looking at nature, you know that God exists, but you wouldn't know by looking at nature that God has a plan for your life, a design on your life for living. You wouldn't know unless Jesus told you. You know what else? You wouldn't know that God loves you had Jesus not said that he truly loves you. Jesus says so much about who God is. Jesus is God himself. And as we serve God, we see the Father. And we, we, we want those misconceptions erased so we can truly jump in to everything God has for us. Jesus said it like this in the book of John. This is why I was born. Like this is why. I came into the world to tell people the truth. I wonder how many of us are living without the true north of Jesus. Jesus shattered common myths about God. These aren't in your notes, but you want to jot them down. The myths about God in the Old Testament, the myths about God even today in 2018, God is distant and detached. Uh, Bette Midler said God is watching us from a distance, but Bette Midler got it wrong. God is not distanced 
He is not detached. He's not watching, just leaning over the wall of heaven. He's with us. And he shows us he's with us by the birth of the king in a manger. God with us, Emmanuel. You know what else is another myth Jesus shattered? That God is uncaring and unconcerned. I mean, he weeps over hurt. He has compassion on people that are hungry. He raises the dead. He laughs with children. He tells the truth. He, he, he uh, mourns with those who mourned. He laughed with those who would laugh. He was caring and very concerned about not only the lives of those he was around and rubbed shoulders with, but your life too. He shatters the myth of God is unmerciful and unpleasable. My goodness. If he wasn't merciful, why would Jesus go to the cross? Thank you, Jesus, for having such mercy on us that he would go through the excruciating death of the cross to prove his love for us. He's unpleasable. Boy, he, 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 he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Jesus came to erase those misconceptions. Number two. Jesus came to express the love of God. To not just have it written about, but have it shown. 1 John, the author says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. It'd be one thing if he just sent an angel to shepherds and say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and not have his own son be born and grow up into servanthood and into uh, the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. An angel is neat. An angel is nice. A sign like a cloud by day and a fire by night. That's pretty cool. Miracles like parting of the Red Sea. That's great. But God showed us how much he loved us, not by the parting of the Red Sea or miracle or miracle or beyond miracle or feeding 5,000. He so shows us his love by his one and only son. And Paul, the apostle, who wrote more books of the New Testament than any other author, he, he has this prayer for the church of Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says, I pray that you would be able to feel and understand, not just feel like in a church service and in worship and in the sermon today, but also know, like understand and take it to the bank. I wish you could really grasp how long and how wide and how deep and how high God's love really is and to experience this love for yourselves. Now look at that. Look at this. Long, wide, deep, high. That you would understand those things. So when we see that, those are like the four dimensions of love. So how long is the love of God? Would you write it down in your notes? How long is the love of God? Long enough to last forever. Before the foundations of the earth were formed, it was already a plan that there would be this time of ups and downs, ups and downs, quiet silence, and then the Lamb of God would be slain. How long is his love? Long enough to last forever. How wide is God's love for you and for me? Here's what's crazy. It's wide enough to reach me anywhere. No matter what we've done, no matter our past, no matter the kind of junk we're still working through. He doesn't come to shine up shiny Christians. Jesus comes to fix broken people. And even when we accept Christ and we're saved, we still got some freedom to find and some development to go through. And he's patient with us. 
And he's wide enough, his love, to reach me anywhere, even when I've taken one step forward and two steps back. How high is God's love? Well, it's high enough to look beyond who I am to who I can become. Aren't you thankful for that? I know I am. That God's love looks beyond. It's high enough. His, 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 his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. His love is, is so high that he can look beyond my current circumstances to where I can become. Now, he doesn't force me to become who he's called me to become. It's my choice. I can walk right into the destiny that God has for me, or I can, I can turn a cold shoulder and do my own thing. But his love is high enough that he sees beyond who we are to who we can become. Are you getting this this morning? Finally, how deep is God's love? How deep is God's love? Well, it's deep enough to handle the hurts I've experienced. And I know that some of you in the Lufkin location, those of you watching online, some of you guys at Dieball, you've handled some hurts. You may have handed out some hurts. Maybe you've been the one hurting someone. But God's love is deep enough to get into the, the, the bowels of our issues. Just the, the, the deep, dark areas. That's how deep his love is. Back in World War II, there were two sisters, Dutch women, Betsy and Corey Tinboom. Betsy and Corey used their home to hide Jews that were being persecuted and uh, taken in on buses and trains, stripped of everything, and taken into concentration camps, humiliated, tortured, murdered, mass genocide of the Jewish people. Betsy and Corey uh, hid Jews for quite some time in their home until they were found out. The Nazis raided they found the Jews, and they took those Jews to the concentration camp, and they also took Betsy and Corey Tin Boom to the infamous Auschwitz concentration camp. And it was brutal. Uh, the book and the movie, The Hiding Place, came out of this uh, horrific time in Corey and Betsy's life. But there's this moment where uh, Corey Tin Boom, Tin Boom says uh, to her sister, This place is the pit of hell it was just it, it was what you and I can't even imagine and Betsy says something profound to Corey Corey later wrote it in the book The Hiding Place here's what Betsy said she said Corey there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still You know, in silence, you might wonder, is God really there? 400 years of silence, you might begin to think, is this even worth it? One generation hands down to the next generation, hands down to the next generation. It's, it's really a miracle in and of itself without no speaking of God that they held on for so long. Why were they holding on? Because they believed that God had promised he would send an anointed one, that there would be a Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah simply means the anointed one. So when we say Jesus the Messiah, we're saying Jesus the anointed one. When we say Jesus Christ, 
The word Christ is Greek for the anointed one. Somebody said, oh, I thought Christ was Mary's last name. No, no, it's not Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, the anointed one. He breaks that silence and he shows up. That's why he came to earth. But here's the third reason. The The third reason why God took on the form of a human being and came down to be with us. Number three, Jesus came to enable a relationship with God. Up to this point, the only way you had relationship was through sacrifice and through the priest that would do the praying and the sacrificing for you. And you had no access. They are the ones that went behind the veil. They're the ones that did the sacrifice. You provided the lamb. You provided a good spotless lamb, your best lamb, your best sacrifice. And the priest would, would, would pray over you, would, would uh, uh, basically um, blot out those sins. And, and you, you were good until the next time you needed to sacrifice. And so Jesus comes and he enables a way different system of connecting to God through consistent sacrifice. He becomes the ultimate sacrifice and he creates access. When Jesus dies on the cross, the Bible says that there's this veil from the Holy of Holies that's ripped in two. Why? Because he's saying, you're not just going to, I'm not just going to come to you. You're going to come to me and we're going to have full access to enable a relationship with the God of the cosmos. Ephesians says it like this, his unchanging plan has always been way even in Jericho, way even in the garden, way over there with Noah and the ark, way, way over there with the Tower of Babel and Joshua and the book of Judges and the saviors that would come up and down and up and down and the captivity and the slavery and the bondage and the times where they were serving God well and the other times they turned a cold shoulder and put up a middle finger to God. He says, no, 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 I came in order order to adopt you into his own family. That's why Jesus comes, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. There's no way else that you get to God but through Jesus. And people have been trying for a lot of time, for a long time, for several centuries to try and get to God through all sorts of ways to try and earn being children of God. In fact, Galatians 3.26, you are all children of God through, and what we've been trying to do is fill in this blank with our own thoughts. We're children of God if we go to church every once in a while. We are children of God if we, I don't know, if we're doing good things. So make sure I, I ring that bell at Christmas time. Make sure that I, you know, let someone cut, cut in front of me in traffic without cussing them out. You know, make sure I, I, I do something nice for somebody every once in a while. You're all children of God through what? No, these, these aren't these things. Some people think that you're children of God through just being alive. That, that there's no seeking him. That there's no finding him and him finding you. But that's not how it works. You are all children of God. What's the answer here? (laughs) It's why God came to earth in the form of a human being. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, believing Jesus is who he says he is and that he came to do what he said he was going to do and that he's alive today and gives us his spirit when we invite him into our lives. This is good news. In fact, this is the gospel. 
gospel means good news. And in Romans chapter 5, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship. That no longer do we have to leave it to the priest, leave it to the sacrifice, leave it to finding that lamb. The lamb has been found. The lamb has been slain. The sacrifice has taken place. We are all a royal priesthood. We all can approach God together with God. All because of who? Because what Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. He breaks through the silence. He rips the veil in two. Here's the deal. He doesn't show up in a golden throne. He doesn't show up on the doorstep of Herod the Great. He shows up as a passionate servant with a heart of kindness with a heart of love not coming and saying it's about time you recognize I'm here but he shows a small little area of geography in our world who he is in the flesh and today a couple thousand years later you and I get to experience who he is Because God took the form of a human being, came to earth to show you he understands you, to show you he knows what it's like to hurt, he knows what it's like to live, he knows what it's like to laugh, he knows what it's like to cry, he knows what it's like to lose something, he also knows what it's like to finish the job. He comes to earth to erase the misconceptions to give us access, to show us his love. So you and I cannot just read about God and think about God and think we know of God. The Bible says they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. It's the difference maker than any other religion you'll ever read about. Every other religion is about trying to somehow find favor with a God by what you do. Trying to approach God and get close to God. And God says, no, no, those are all, that's all. No, 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 they they don't even get it. I'm going to approach you. I'm going to get on your level. That's how much I love you. That's how real I am. That's how much I want to have real relationship with you. Aren't you thankful for that today? Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Just bow your heads, close your eyes here in the Lufkin, there in Dieball. One of our team is going to join me on the stage here. Let's pray. Father, usually we're talking about your son coming to earth in December when The lights are out and the mangers are set and the Christmas shopping's happening and and it really becomes a busy season. And we say this, we say Jesus is the reason for the season, and he is. But God, I'm so thankful that, that we are also the reason for the season. That you loved us so much that you did what only you can do. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth. With eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here 
and you've got some misconceptions that have been guiding your understanding about God, I want to invite you right now to simply surrender to him today. And you'd say it like this, Jesus, I don't want anything in my belief system. I don't want anything in my moral compass. I don't want anything guiding my convictions, my character, and my conduct except the one true God. If you are who you say you are, if you've done what your word says you've done, then I am going to surrender to you. I'm going to give, I'm going to lean fully in, not on my own understanding, But I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to acknowledge what you have to say, what you want to do. And I may have sincerely thought that it's this and this and that and the other. But today, God, I sincerely surrender my own misconceptions. I surrender what I've been trying to do. I surrender what I like to think. And I invite you to lead me to what you have next. Reveal yourselves to us, Lord Jesus, as we dive more into your word, as we surrender to you more in our worship and everyday living. God, for those of us that we, we have had a hard time expressing love, Jesus, would we embrace your love today? For those of us that have had a hard time seeing you as a personal God with a personal relationship. Lord, may we lean in to your arms today. Thank you, Jesus, that you broke the silence and you give us hope for tomorrow. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.